Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Yeah, it's good to be together with you. It's good to be family together here today at Community of Grace. I also want to invite and welcome our extended family who might be watching online today. It's good that you are here with us today, too. Well, I have a story to start with. There is a group of children who are standing in line for lunch in the school cafeteria at a Christian school. And as they approach the front of the line, they see a giant bowl of apples. And there's a sign right next to the apples that says, please only take one, God is watching. (laughs) So the children come through the line, they make their way on through, gathering the rest of their food. They come to the end of the line, and at the end of the line is a giant platter of chocolate chip cookies. One of the guys in line leans over to one of his friends and says, take all you want, God's watching the apples. God is watching the apples, but we're going to go to the core. That's what we're starting off with a new sermon series here today, friends. We're going to take a look at our core values. These are values that have been shaped and created within our congregation and our reflection of our congregation. And it's always good for us to go back and take a look at what it is that God has intended for us to cling to and value as a part of what shapes us as a congregation. Because congregations are always changing and shifting and shaping. This is a new experience for me. I've only been here for a year, and uh, I want to tell you that the core values that we have as a congregation are part of what attracted me to wanting to consider to be a part of you here. Reading them, seeing them, and going, boy, these are really good. They really capture the heart of what I believe God wants for any congregation but they're well articulated here. And we've already done this once, but I'm never going to stop getting, you know, getting tired of doing this and of hearing these over and over again. So I'm going to ask you to do these values one more time. We're going to repeat them. I hope that you can commit them to memory as we make our way through them, all right? They start on the wall this way, and they go that way. So let's do it again. Here we go. First of all, Jesus makes us family. Deep roots make good fruit. Love pours out. Invite first and next steps with Jesus. Be the church in the world. And that's all to move us forward in our mission, which is to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ. A great set of our mission statement and a great set of values that shape us together as a congregation. We teach these in our new membership class called Catalyst. Many of you have been through Catalyst. Some of you are going through Catalyst right now. It's great. And uh, so I had my first chance to take a swing at teaching the first session of Catalyst this past Sunday. And that's what we teach about in our first message is about Jesus makes us family. The first of our core values, Jesus makes us family. And it was so fun to share that with that group of people. We had 26 people in our Catalyst class, by the way, huge class, Wonderful to have so many people who are engaged and wanting to get further engaged here at Community of Grace. But what we discovered is when we started talking about family, man, does that bring up a whole lot of different feelings and different stories in people's lives. There's a wide variety of things that come to mind when we throw out the word family. We think of blended families and broken families and families that are doing great and families that are struggling and families with grown children, families without children and families with one child and families who are hoping to have children. All of those different varieties were expressed and are a part of that. Yeah, family itself can be kind of complicated when we try to figure out what is it that makes up a family. That's why we want to go to Scripture to get our ideal idea of what a family is. Because here's the thing first. Family is God's idea. 
Family is God's idea. It wasn't my idea. It isn't your idea. Family is God's idea. And we get that from the very first chapters of the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we are introduced to a beautiful story of what a family is meant to be. God, in his wisdom, creates the entire universe from nothing shapes it and creates it from the outside, working his way in and working his way up until the pinnacle of his creation is human beings. And he makes them male and female. And he makes them to be partners together in something called marriage. And it's a beautiful picture of a relationship between a man and a woman and God that is in perfect condition. A perfect relationship between husband and wife. A perfect relationship with God. And out of that comes a command to be fruitful and multiply. To build a family, to have children who would then grow up in this family, who would then go on to do the same thing, uniting together in marriage, having children who, who raise up to call them blessed. It's a beautiful, ideal picture, and it was God's idea. Great idea, God! Until we got hold of it, and it only took two chapters. <laughs> it only took two chapters. And we're introduced to the reality of the life of Adam and Eve. And in that reality comes deception, comes lying, comes temptation, comes doubting God, comes lying, comes blame and shame. All of that comes crashing in on this reality because we always think we got a better idea than God, don't we? And we yeah, we shouldn't. You're right. Well said. That's what I love about rhetorical questions. <laughs> we do. We always think we have a better idea than God. And, and it just plays out throughout this whole narrative of Scripture because Adam and Eve screw it up first with each other and for each other and break that relationship. And then they go on and have children, two sons, the first siblings, Cain and Abel. Awesome brothers. Good to be brothers. Till one of them gets jealous of the other one and kills him. We don't get through chapter three without a murder. <laughs> one of them kills the other one. That sibling rivalry, that jealousy pours right into their relationship. And it just goes downhill from there to the point that God is so frustrated with what he sees in the world and the evil that has emerged from all of this. That he says, you know what, that's it. We need a fresh start. We're clearing it out with water. We're cleaning up our act. And there was Noah. And God remembered Noah. Because Noah was a good guy. He says, Noah, you and your family, I want you to bring them together. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to put you on an ark with the animals, protect you, preserve you, because you are the new start. And they make their way through the waves and through the rain and through the water. And finally, the rains stop and the water settles and they're left on the top of a mountain finding solid land again. And Noah gets off the boat and gets naked and gets drunk. <laughs> Read the story. <laughs> Another great start for humanity. And we're right back where we were again. And the story continues on with challenges in families and, and breakdowns in families until, until another couple emerges, Abram and Sarah. 
And God has a new desire in them. God always wants a people to call his own. He always wants to build them from a family. So he, he takes Abram and Sarah and says, in you, I'm going to build a new family. And its numbers will outnumber the stars in the sky or the sand on the sea. It'll be a marvelous thing. It will be a blessing, and that blessing will be passed on. You will be blessed to be a blessing. So all the world will look to you and see how good God is and how good his purposes are. So Abraham and Sarah get together, and, and they have Ishmael. Ishmael and then Isaac. Yeah, why? Because they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't be patient. They didn't think that this would ever work out the way God wakes to work it out, so they had a better idea. So along comes Ishmael and Isaac, and that family rivalry becomes the deepest family rivalry in all of history. We still bear the fruit from the same rivalry then. And it goes on because Isaac has children himself. Two boys, one named Esau and one named Jacob. And how does that work out? Esau the oldest, Jacob the youngest, and Jacob steals Esau's blessing. Good job. Trick old man into getting what you want. Sibling rivalry continues. And it moves on from Jacob and Esau because Jacob has a family. Jacob has many sons. And one of those sons is Joseph. And Joseph is dad's favorite. Don't you love to be in a family where somebody is the favorite and it's not you? But that's how it plays out. Oh, yeah, thanks, dad. Doesn't work out so well for Joseph in the beginning as his wonderful brothers sell him off into slavery. Yeah, what a great picture of family we've created. And it just keeps going on and on and on, one generation after the next. Moses comes along, and Moses is a firstborn, but it's not looking good for him, so they put him in a basket to save the shame of the, of the, the, the woman who had him. And so off he goes, and then Moses grows up, and he grows up as an Egyptian, and he murders somebody. Yeah, it's all in the book, friends. These heroes of the faith. Their stories just keep going on like this. And Moses becomes somebody who God can use and uses him to rescue Israel from their captors and bring them on into a promised land. But Moses can't go with them. Why? Because he's got anger issues. <laughs> Wax that rock. I'm going to get water out of that rock. It's like me with my computer when it's not working right. I will get you to work. Right? I mean, it's just the same stories. They're just the same people, friends. You look back in these stories, and we think today that families are so messed up, right? Oh, families are so messed up today. I mean, it's not like it was back in the old days with leave it to beaver and, and, and uh, you know, father knows best. And, oh, baloney, all of you who were there, you know that that was never real. You know it. You know it was never real. This has always been working in human history when we talk about families and we talk about siblings. And we come down to David. David, who would be King David. Where does David come from? Well, you know, a little bit of numerology to let you know about. In the Bible, there's a lot of numbers that pop up. 
And many times these numbers have some significance. And the number seven is one of those numbers that has significance. It's like a number of fulfillment, right? We have seven days in the week. That's complete. We got a complete week there, seven days, right? So here's the sons of, and I'm totally forgetting his name. Sons of Jesse, thank you. The sons of Jesse. Here's the sons of Jesse. And Jesse has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven sons. This is awesome. I'll bring him forward, see which one of them is going to be the king. None of them. None of them. Wait a second, that's a problem. Oh, that's right, I forgot one. There's an eighth son, David. I mean, think about this. This is your family. Yeah, we're going to bring a really, it's like not being invited to the biggest party in your family. The left out one, the forgotten one, that's David. The stories are rich with this kind of tragedy. These are modern families right there in place. Why does it keep going this way? Friends, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. That first apple that causes that first breakdown in the very first family, it keeps rolling its way all the way down through every family, right on down to today, and right on down into the time of Jesus, because along comes Jesus. And Jesus is here to reveal something about the heart of God. And that's what we want to take a look at today in Scripture. If you have your Bible with you, open up to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 15. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Somebody will get you a Bible. If you've got one on your phone or on any other device, please go ahead and open it up to Luke. Luke, chapter 15. I'm going to read to you what is perhaps the most famous story in all of Scripture, one that has been repeated time and time again. People who have never encountered the Bible know this story because it's one of the greatest short stories ever told by the greatest teacher who ever lived, Jesus himself. It's in Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11, and at the top of my paragraph, it says, the parable of the lost son. You may have heard of it before. It's told as the parable of the prodigal son. So here it begins in verse 11. Jesus continues, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. 
So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property your, uh, with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus shares a story, and it's a story of another broken family. It's a broken family. Two brothers. A younger brother and an older brother. Have we heard this story before? Yes. One version or another of it. A younger brother and an older brother. And the younger brother looks at his dad one day and says, Dad, you know what? I wish you were dead now so that I could get my inheritance, but I'll just take what I could get right now anyway. That's what it means and what he is saying. And the father gives him what he asks. And he goes out and lives wild and crazy and does everything wrong. All the things that would be against everything that he had been raised to believe and do. And the money runs out. And the party comes to an end. And the famine sets in. And he's set off to go to work feeding pigs. There could be no lower position that you could be in as a Jewish follower of God than to be feeding the pigs. Dirty animals. And you're responsible for feeding them. And he would rather have what they're eating because he's starving. And he comes to his senses and goes, boy, you know what? Even my father's servants are living better than this. I screwed up. I've got to go back. And I know I'm not worthy of being called a son anymore. That's over. I gave up that right. But maybe I can go back and get a job because it's certainly got to be better than this. And he makes his way back, and while he's still a long way off, his father sees him and runs out to him and meets him right where he is at. And before he can even finish his story, Father, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Before he gets to the good part about saying, can I just have a job? His father has smothered him in kisses and hugs. And is called to have somebody come and, and put the sandals on his feet and put the best robe on his shoulders and put the ring on his finger, the signet ring that says, this is my son right here. And let's kill the fattened calf. Let's have a celebration. You were lost. Now you're found. You were dead. Now you're alive. Nothing could be better than having you home. And then there's an older brother. The older brother who has been there faithfully. Been there from the beginning. Serving. Working hard. Out in the field. Has had it together. Has, has been dedicated to this whole family from the beginning. And he's the older one, so he's even entitled ultimately to a greater share of what all this is than his younger brother. And he watches his dad give away half of his inheritance. 
And now his brother is home. Whoopee. Yeah, you can imagine. Sure, I'm real happy. I've been here this whole time. I haven't even gotten a lousy goat to be able to have a party with my friends. And he's whining and he's complaining. And he figures, hey, you know what? What's in it for me? Aren't I entitled to something here? I mean, I've been slaving away for years here. And that son, that bum of your son, comes back and he gets all the glory. Really? Thanks a lot, Dad. And the father goes out to meet him too, doesn't he? Goes out and seeks him. Says, yup, here's the deal. You've always been with me. Everything I have belongs to you. And it always has. And nothing about that ever changes because you're my son just like he is. But we had to celebrate because he's back home again. And when the sons are back home, the family is together. And that's the heart of the father. Jesus reveals the heart of the Father in this story that he is telling because Jesus is the first one to go so far as to call the Lord, heaven, creator of the universe, Daddy. And he teaches it to us in a prayer. And it changes everything in our outlook of God as a loving Father who desires his wayward sons to come home whether they've been with him all along or not. That's the heart of the father. And it's in the story of sibling rivalry. Because that story never changes. Right? Who here are oldest members, oldest siblings in their family? Raise your hand. Okay. Who here are the middle children somewhere in the middle? Yep. Who here are the babies? Yay! Say like, I'm the baby! Woo! So am I. We're all in a different place in those families, and all of those family dynamics are real. You can read any one of these stories and find yourself in there somewhere. You're in there somewhere. And families are families. I have two older siblings. I'm the baby. I have an older sister who's seven years older than I am, an older brother who's 10 years older. And I've got, a, I've got good brother and good sister, but I tell you what, I, if I ever get reminded one more time of the fact that I wasn't raised by the same parents that they were raised by. <laughs> you heard that one, babies? You've said that one, older siblings? Man, I never would have gotten away with that. Those stories go on. That's that, the kind of stuff that we hear. And I love my older brother. And, and we have a love language. It's called sarcasm. <laughs> and one time in particular, my, my oldest brother, I, I, I was performing a funeral for my family because I've been called on a number of times to do that. And so I had completed this funeral, and, and I, I stepped out after the funeral was done, and many of my extended family members were, were coming up and, and were saying, oh, it was so wonderful. What a wonderful job. Thank you so much for, for serving the family in this way. That was just beautiful. And my brother was standing there. My brother looks at me and goes, wasn't your best. <laughs> and without missing a beat, I looked at him and said, I'm saving that for you. 
We're brothers. <laughs> I love him. But that's the reality. We live in these families. We have these family dynamics, don't we? Every one of us, we can relate to these things. And the message that, that Jesus is sending here is a three-part message. He has a message for the older siblings. And who are the older siblings? They're the ones who have been in the family the longest. And in particular, there were two audiences that Jesus was speaking to here. There was a group of Sadducees and Pharisees who were the ones who had been the devoted older brothers, the ones who had been a part of the family forever, who had kept all the rules. And he had a message for them. And his message was, get over yourself. And it's the same message that God speaks to us today. Friends, there are those who have been a part of the church their entire lives. Some who have no testimony whatsoever that they can say other than, I've known Jesus since I was a kid. I don't have any amazing coming back home story. It's just kind of the way it's always been. And that's good. Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we get an attitude with that that says, well, yeah, you know what? I've had this right all along, so shouldn't there be a little bit in it more for me? I mean, shouldn't I have a little bigger say in how things go in this family? I mean, after all, I've been the one here slaving and working hard and making sure that the roof stays on and the bills get paid. We can have that attitude in the church, can't we? Some of you dear older brothers and older sisters, and I'm not talking about your age, by the way, because this crosses every generation. There can be that sense of entitlement. Hey, you know what? I've earned this. I've earned this. I should get some respect for all the hard work that I've done around here, especially from those ne'er-do-well younger siblings. Hey, get over it. You didn't earn it either. You were brought into this family as a gift from God the same way everybody else was. And just because you've been in it longer doesn't mean that you're entitled to anything more than anybody else. So get over yourself. But there's also a message to the younger siblings too. The ones who maybe haven't been around as long, the ones who are just kind of maybe entering into this a little bit young and, and are learning about this stuff but still feel like they kind of want things their own way. And the message to them is it's not about you. It's not about you. As soon as you start to make it about you and about your preferences and your wants and your desires and how you would like it to be just so much better than anybody else has had it before you, you're confusing about who it is that you're here to worship. One of my favorite memes that just speaks such a zinger these last few weeks is one where there's two people talking to each other and one of them says, yeah, you know what? I didn't like worship so much this past week. The other person says, well, that's good. We weren't worshiping you. <laughs> we can get into that kind of an attitude, can't we? Hey, it's not about you. Get over yourself. And yeah, and you know what? Younger siblings, we still got to do our part too. Okay? We got to step up to the plate. There's things that we are called to do and be for the sake of the whole body of Christ. And you have a part to play with your brothers and sisters, be they older or younger. Now, that's a pretty stinging message. I get that. But that's not the only message that Jesus is giving here. Yes, there's a message to the older sibling. There's a message to the younger sibling. But the message beyond all of that is that there's a father who picked you to be a part of the family. There's a father in heaven 
who knew you before you were born, who knows every circumstance and situation of your life, good and bad and indifferent, and he chose you to be a part of his family. And that's not an accident. But you also don't get to pick your family. You don't get to pick your siblings. God picks them and brought you into them, into a family. And this is a smaller version of that family right here at Community of Grace. God picked you to be part of this family. And that's because he loves you. And that's because he wants the very best for you. And we should want the best too. Jesus makes us family. And our attitude should be, hey, you know what? We're a whole lot of different people with a whole lot of different backgrounds and a whole lot of different experiences. And some of us come from broken families. And for some of us, the word family is, it hurts to hear it. And for others, it brings upon all kinds of senses of guilt and shame about how you wish it had been or how you wish you had been a better parent or a better brother or sister or a better child or you're, you're still longing for where those kids are that aren't around anymore or you're still wondering how come it is that dad left. Hey, I get it. That's real. And we don't all know everybody's story here. But the thing about being in a family is that that family is united in the love of the father that love is meant to overcome a multitude of sins. It's supposed to be in that place so that we love and appreciate one another. So that the younger looks up to the older and the older looks to help the younger. And we, we encourage each other. And even when we make mistakes and screw up, the love of God is there to cover a multitude of sins, the ones that we do against each other as well as, as, well as the ones we do against him. It's the kind of relationship we're called to live in. I'm grateful for my older brother. He's 10 years older than I am, and I love to tell him that he is my canary in the coal mine, if you know what that means. I'm like, hey, man, you're 10 years older. Anything that goes wrong with you, I know, I got 10 years. Better go in and get that checked. And as a matter of fact, this last year probably saved my life because my brother had his first heart attack when he was 52 years old. And I escaped the heart attack at 49 by going in and getting checked and getting a stent put in before I had damaged my heart. Think I'm not grateful for my older brother? You bet I am. Because his experiences have spoken into my life. That's the way that we should honor the older brothers, the ones who have been around longer, the ones who have put in their time. We should honor them and appreciate them. And they should have an attitude of humility in that. We all can carry that attitude of humility much better as brothers and sisters. Jesus makes us family. So let's make the best of this family because Jesus gave his best to make us family. Jesus gave his very best, dying on a cross, making the sacrifice, paying for all of the stupid things that we do as younger brothers and the mean things that we do as older sisters and all of that. He took all of that on himself on the cross so that we could be adopted into our heavenly father's family with Jesus as our older brother. That's the story of Scripture. That's the story that you are a part of. That's the story that we get to be a part of here. That's why it needs to be the first value that we always have together, is no matter what, this family sticks together. And this family doesn't choose comfort over mission. 
And he doesn't choose convenience over sacrifice for their neighbor. We want the best, and we should make the best of it because Jesus gave his best for us. With that, let's pray, knowing that God wants to give his best to us right now as we prepare to come to his table. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have invited us into this family. Thank you that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we get to be a part of this family. And as broken and as wounded and as imperfect as it is on this side of eternity, Lord, you are making it into something beautiful. And someday you will make it into something perfect. But that's not yet. That's not till you return and and make all things new and all things right. But in the meantime, here we are as your children. And Lord, I am grateful that even today we can experience family together around the table because you have set a table for us today. You've set a table for each one of us to come and experience your presence with us, Jesus, right here as the host. And at that table, Lord, what you feed us is your very self, your very presence. And you remind us of the deep sacrifice that you have made, the very best that you gave so that we can receive it. And we can't possibly earn that, Lord. So help us to come with grateful hearts today and help us to see one another around this table and each person as they come to receive from you as somebody who has been made worthy by you, not by anything they've done, and certainly not by anything that we have done are we made worthy. We look around the table and see our brothers and sisters who are there because of you, who are made whole because of you, who are healed because of you, who are given the promise of eternity because of you. Lord, meet us at that table today that we may fall more and more in love with you and become a family that you can be proud of. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.